Hey there, it's Jill Herman. Welcome to BU Podcast and welcome back if you're one of our regular listeners. So I may sound a little different again, just like last week, I'm at a different location. So I'm doing this introduction from my iPhone. Last week it was Portugal. I feel so fancy saying that. And this week it's Nashville, Tennessee. So hello from Nashville, Tennessee. And let me tell you about this conversation. So I had been looking for a money expert to have another episode on money because it's such an important topic and it's connected to so much. And so many of us avoid looking at our relationship with money because it's so polarizing and it's so triggering and it's triggering and it's so freaking uncomfortable and it's easy to ignore and it's easy to put on the back burner. But I wanted to have someone who could come on here as a trauma-informed life coach, money expert, and I found one. You're going to love this episode, and it's going to help you and your friends and everyone you know, because it's not a superficial chat about money. It is a look deeper, like a deep dive into what's underneath our relationship with money, And how can we really relax and be at ease with money without needing to make more money, by the way? So I just, I love this. I loved the conversation. I loved our guest. And let me tell you a little bit about her. So Lome Samuel is a certified trauma-informed financial and life coach who wants to help people realize that anyone can be good with money. Anyone. She's also a creative who, through doing her own work around money, realized how much money stress can hijack our creative energy. She believes that work around money is deep and has the power to ripple out for generations. Money is power, and it is her mission to restore power to those who have historically been stripped of it. So sit back, learn a lot, and enjoy this conversation about money with Salome Samuel. There is nothing more inspiring than a woman being unapologetically herself. The answers are all in your heart. She's waiting, she's waiting, she's waiting for you to set her free. Welcome to BU Podcast. I'm Jill Herman and I am so glad you're here. I was broke, insecure, and craved approval. But with grit, hustle, and sacrifice, I still built a successful multi-million dollar business. 10 years in, burnout, I slowed down and looked inward. In that silence, I discovered that the same level of success could have come to me with much less effort and so much more joy. That's when I threw out the expectations of the world and chose to unbecome every single thing I thought I was supposed to be. And the real me was uncaged. It was far from easy. And in this podcast, I'll offer my entire journey as a roadmap so that if you're ready, you can finally be you. Well, hello, Salome. I'm so happy to have you on BU Podcast. I'm so excited to be here. Oh, and I'm happy. I'm always extra excited when my guest is someone who listens to the podcast and enjoys the podcast because that means you really get us and that means those listening are really going to get you and and be excited about what you have to share. When I first came across you and I started seeing what you're sharing, one, I was attracted to you in general. You have such a great energy about you. and But I love, love, love that you teach something that most people and most coaches shy away from which is everything about money. Even the word money like starts to trigger people. So before we get to that, even though I've already told them about you, I would love to start with how in the world you got to the place where you are coaching people all around money. So how did that happen? And you can share anything else you'd like to share about yourself. Sure. Thank you so much. And and yeah, since we've been in community, I think it's just been so beautiful to see what you've been doing with the podcast and how you've just been willing to share your transformation with others because I think it's really inspiring. Thank you. How I came to be coaching about money is such a circuitous journey and is like not where I would have thought I would have ended up at all. <laughs> so without making it like my complete autobiography, I went to school for visual art and I went to a private college that was super expensive. I took out a bunch of loans and then I graduated in 2009 in the midst of the recession. So I just found myself in a really tenuous financial situation where all I ever 
knew that I wanted to do was work creatively. I ended up moving to New York. I ended up getting a job doing things that were related to creativity, not necessarily visual art, which is what I studied, but in music. And I was like, I'm doing it. I've succeeded. I'm paying my rent. And then I had the reality of like having to face all of my loans and getting a five-figure tax bill when a job paid me essentially as like a full-time freelancer, even though I was really should have been an employee. And so I had this moment where I was facing off with $100,000 of debt almost. And I just had no idea how I was going to be able to pay it. I was like, all I can manage is like feeding myself (laughs) and paying my rent. And it seemed so overwhelming. And that was probably like my one, my initial turning point or initiation where I realized that that things had to change. And I went on my own, you know, personal finance education journey. And a few years later, I was in a much better place. Not like I, not to say that I like had paid off all the debt or anything, but I was at least making progress. And then the more that I started to talk about it with other people, I realized that I had been living under this false assumption that like everybody else had had it figured out. And it was just me (laughs) who was struggling. And I made these assumptions that like my friends who grew up with money, because, you know, going to a school like I went to, you know, there's a lot of people who have money there. And I was like, they all must have it figured out. And it's just me. It's just me because I grew up with like a single parent or because I'm a woman or whatever stories I was telling myself. And then I realized that there was just so much need in this space, especially among people like myself, who are women, women of color, first generation, who were trying to pursue careers, you know, being artists, being musicians, etc. in New York City, but they were unable to do it because the money stuff was like getting in the way. And I could see that for myself as well, where I was like, I am not actually free because I essentially like half like this debt is like chaining me in a certain way. And the way that I'm feeling about what I even deserve is keeping me in this spot. And, you know, there's been a lot of evolution since then, but I essentially just got into it to fix my own shit and all of the mistakes that I made and then realized how many people around me also needed the help. Mm. Okay, so what do you find when you said that you had this story, which is like my running story since childhood about everything? I'm the only one. I'm the only one who doesn't have it figured out. I'm the only one struggling. I'm the only one who's a bad mom. And the only one, even though I obviously rationally know that's not true. That's still the tape that plays. So when you say that you had that thought about finances for yourself, when you started not just having conversations with people, which led you to this career, but after you established this career and started coaching people, like really digging into the dirt with them, what are some common stories, maybe some common themes, some common tapes that play for women, no matter their ethnicity, no matter their age, no matter if they came up with money or didn't come up with money, what are some things that you have noticed over and over again? Yeah, I think a really common one and one that I identified with for so long was that I was bad with money, that like being bad with money is something you inherit, like it's an inherent characteristic about you that can't shift, like you're either bad or you're good. There's no movement between the two poles. I think other ones are that it's noble to be poor or it's like bad to want money. And of course, you know, there's there's tons of nuances that can go into this, but I think that there's so many subconscious things that can be blocking us. Other ones are that, you know, the reverse of that is like it's evil to be rich or rich people are evil or greedy or amoral. I think a lot of women, at least that I I work with a lot of women and of course I encounter a lot of coaches as a coach, you know, think that there's this idea that like if you're doing something that you love, you like it's wrong to like ask for money for that. <laughs> yeah, if it's my passion or my spiritual gift, I got to give it all away for free. Yeah, and I mean, I've also worked in jobs that unfortunately like reinforced that belief that just because it was like fun or sounded cool that like I should accept whatever treatment and money goes along with that. But then there's there's so many more subtle nuances to it that are really specific to the person. But I would say those are some big overarching ones. Mm. Or, oh, no, here's another one. <laughs> another one is for sure that like, you have to work hard to have money. Yeah. Oh, gosh, those are... We <laughs> could go down so many roads with these. All right. So let's start with that one. Let's start with you have to work hard to have money because hard work is good, I believe. 
I also believe that it can be completely coming from a wound and uh, we can use it to, you know, mask things, et cetera, try to get worth, which is what I did. I actually have a sign in my house as my kids leave my house and it says, work hard and be nice to people. And I realized that (laughs) I put that there because subconsciously, because that's what I thought made me a good person. I was nice to people and I worked my ass off. So let's break that down a little bit because you're not saying that that people should not work hard or that they should be lazy, obviously. But I think I hear you saying that people, many people feel like they don't deserve abundance, wealth, money, unless they work really, really hard. So how does that, how does that look? Yeah, I think it can be that, that they don't deserve it unless they work hard or that it's a prerequisite. Like to have money, you have to do this thing. It has to be hard. There's no way that it could be easy. And I can at least speak from personal experience because this was my story for so long. You know, like I was in this aforementioned creative job, which at, you know, 26 was my dream job, but didn't really pay me enough for me to survive living in New York City with like the amount of debt that I mentioned having. It just wasn't working out. Right. But then my default narrative, because of how I'm programmed, I guess, was that like, oh, I have to just work multiple side jobs. I have to work on the weekend in addition to my full-time job. I have to take gigs DJing or taking photos or babysitting or doing whatever because that's the only way that I can understand to get money is just to add more hours instead of believing right that I could deserve for it to be easy or that I could deserve to have a job that pays me... Like I could have one source of income that covers everything that I need. And... I think it's such a trap, right? For so many reasons. And we could go so deep into this because it's like, yes, there was the the overworking out of like necessity and the scarcity of what I believed that I could make. But then there's also a way in which, you know, it keeps you exhausted. It keeps you distracted. You don't actually have the time or the energy to really look at those things because you're literally not sleeping. Hmm. Yeah. And it's that whole story of, and I know not everyone can relate to this, but I believe a lot of people can. It's that whole story of, if I don't work really hard to get it, like you said, I don't deserve it. And I don't deserve it because I'm not enough by myself. I have to prove myself. So the working hard is like proving myself somehow. And it is interesting because it makes some people picture like, the law of attraction where I'm just going to envision a gold chain and it arrives on my doorstep, right? And there are people that believe that. But I know I I know that what we're talking about is it's like a marriage of that where, yeah, it's going to take effort. You've got to get off your butt. You've got to make get uncomfortable. You've got to show up. You've got to be consistent. But like you said, it doesn't have to be so hard. It gets to be easy. That's a big statement. I mean, that like rocks people's world. When I heard for her that tell me, I was like, what? It just felt so, I will say wrong. It felt wrong. How could it be easy? And like you just said, I don't know, maybe if you thought you were worth more, you would just get paid more at the one job. (laughs) Exactly. It's such a trap or it becomes, you know, like we were talking about with the bad of money stuff or, or shame, which is obviously so related to so many people's relationship about money. I was like, maybe it gets to be easy for them because of like these reasons, but not me. Like I'm, I'm the one for whom it must be hard. And, you know, I know that not everyone has my exact same lived experience, but I think that there are so many of us that hold onto these factors of our identity as like the reasons why we can't have the thing. So for me, it was like, oh, because I'm a woman or because I'm black or because I'm young. Or because I like didn't grow up with money, that's those are the reasons why it can never be true for me. And everyone has like their own versions of that. And it's not to say that if you grow up with money, you also don't have that. Like I've talked to plenty of people who are like, well, yeah, but I grew up with money, but now I feel guilty about even wanting money. Or I grew up with money, but my parents didn't actually teach me anything. So I'm like even less equipped (laughs) than people who had to like work for it their whole lives, you know? So there's just so many, so many ways that these these stories that we tell ourselves can really impact our day to day. Yeah, it's interesting because you know you can grow up like I grew up with no money, and I had a an unhealthy relationship with money, but it wasn't because I grew up with no money. 
it's because of the way my parents spoke about money and spoke about people who had money and they were bad and they were snobs and look at them and they think they're all that. And the arguments in my home were constantly about us not being able to pay our bills or our, you know, oven not working, our phone getting shut off, not having a car. Like it, it was, there's so much trauma attached to it. And my husband grew up with not much money. I mean, his parents were both teachers, so they had some money, right? But but certainly didn't have a lot. He had a very healthy relationship with money. He never felt like he went without anything, even though he did. He went without a lot. I always focused on what I didn't have because that's all that was focused on in my home. I'm going on a bit of a tangent, but, and it makes me think of like my brother and his wife. My brother is a physician. And obviously when you're in the beginning as a doctor, you're really not making anything. But, you know, by the time he had kids and they were growing up, they were doing pretty damn well. I mean, she stayed home. He made a lot of money. He did also like side things because he's a little entrepreneurial around medical stuff. My point is they always had, a, always had a lot of money. And all three of his children have different relationships with money, yet all of them are very healthy. And I'll say this, this isn't a parenting episode, but one thing I wish I would have done that I never did based on how I was raised, right? And my own trauma and head trash around money, but that my brother did do that I watched because I babysat their kids is that their kids were always told like mommy and daddy have this money. Like we've earned this money. You get to enjoy the benefits of it, but it's not yours, right? And that sounds kind of mean, but they always knew that they got to enjoy it It was theirs while they lived there, but they had to make their own way. So they had to like do chores from the time they were four years old, et cetera, et cetera, and really value hard work without feeling like they had to sacrifice themselves to have money. Anyway, that's like the only example in my life where I feel like it was a very healthy way of looking at it. But my point is, just like you see with your clients, they have three children raised in the same home by the same parents, and they all three have a completely different relationship with money. So I guess I would say, how does that happen? How does, I know you're also highly trained in, you know, trauma and somatics, and it looks like you just talk about money with people, but you go very deep into the nervous system. How do three people in the same home with the same parents, who also the parents were making the same amount of money their whole lives, come out with three completely different relationships with money? Yeah, that's a great question. And I don't think that's uncommon. I think that, you know, the reality is all of us are wired really differently. And there's so many subtle nuances that, you know, are above my pay grade beyond my level of understanding. But it's like, every pregnancy is different. Every birth is different. Every lived experience is different, regardless, just because of your personality, or it could be your gender, it could be the age, it could be the things that are happening in your household around you. But you know, I think another thing that we learned, at least in our training is that you know, trauma is not universal. Like there's not specific events that are across the board, always traumatic. It's just like, what are you making it mean? And what is your nervous system interpreting it as? And like, how does that filter into the stories, etc. So it's like, you know, it's the same as the story with you when you were a little kid. It's like, sure, you could have interpreted that scenario totally differently and ended up a totally different person. But the way that you were programmed brought you to where you are. And I think about that sometimes for myself, where it's like, I didn't grow up in super dire straits. Like I wasn't like, wanting for food or anything. But I definitely understood that there were things that I desired that like we couldn't afford. But you know, that also perfectly fits into other deeper stories that I had about my unworthiness and my need to prove things in a certain way. So you kind of just are stacking the bricks of that story, and everyone is stacking it in a different way. And so then you get to adulthood, and it's like, okay, well, I have 20 to 30 years of evidence, right, of this story that I'm choosing to believe. I was doing air quotes, (laughs) I remember that we're on the podcast. And it's not always like factually true, right? And I think that that can be the hardest part as you start to do this work as an adult, and which is why I hope in the future, more people are doing this with their kids, there is more education in school about not just money, like trauma and all of it, because you get to this reality in quotes, right, that you think is true. And then when you start questioning it, you realize that everything is actually a house of cards, and nothing that you believe is fundamentally true. Mm-hmm. And it's funny that after I asked the question, I'm like, it's kind of a silly question to say, how do those three people have the same, a different relationship with money when there's birth order? There's, there's just so much, but I just thought it was interesting that they look at money differently. So 
on that note, how would you explain or what would you like to share with us or what would you be willing to share with us about the connection between like the nervous system and the way we experience money, our energy with and around money, our thoughts around money, our relationship with money. How are those connected? Because someone listening is like, well, obviously, duh. And someone else listening is like, what the hell is she talking about? Why would my nervous system have anything to do with it? Oh my gosh, totally. So obviously, we could talk about this for hours alone. But I think we could start with, you know, what even is your nervous system, right? And so your nervous system is is essentially like your body's command center. It's controlling like your physical functions. It's controlling how you perceive safety versus danger. It's the pipeline basically right between your brain and and your body. So I think the connection can be, it can be so subtle and so tricky because it wasn't, you know, as a person who's been doing this work now for years, it wasn't until recently that I started to really tune into the subtleties of what my nervous system is telling me because your nervous system, you know, is designed to keep you safe fundamentally. So, you know, the tiger is running at you, you know, your heart rate speeds up, you know, your muscles activate so that you can get away. But the danger with that of having an activated nervous system or dysregulation is that it actually reduces your brain's capacity to really think critically and logically and make informed decisions. And of course, in our day to day, like Western lives, Tigers are not chasing us, but there are so many small instances in a day that can activate that within you, whether it is having a conversation about money with your partner, going to the grocery store and like feeling like you don't have enough to cover the bill, looking at your credit card statement. There's so much. Like, I obviously know my own examples intimately, but I've realized now after reflecting back that there are so many things that. I avoid out of default because my nervous system has deemed them to be unsafe, but they're so ingrained that I have just accepted them as like the reality of my life. Like it's not even a thing that I question, which is why it can be so helpful to have another person to dive into this with you. And so like a very clear example for me that has come up recently is that I was invited, you know, via like a program that I was in to energetically spend a thousand dollars a day on whatever you wanted and like see what came up for you. And so I was like, amazing, great. I I instantly was like, I'm gonna spend it on clothes. <laughs> so I started fantasy shopping on these clothing websites. And then I realized as I was thinking about it, I was like, oh, my default is just to go to the sale to just see what's left over. Like there's no way I could get like the brand new thing at full price that I actually desire in my size, right? And you know, something like that seems so minor because it's like, what's wrong with buying stuff on sale, right? And like, some people think that clothes are frivolous. I personally think that clothes are really important. But I noticed that there was this way in which I was subconsciously limiting myself and constantly capping myself on my own desires. But I had just like, interpreted that as like a perfectly reasonable worldview. So I didn't even know it until earlier this year. And that's at 36 years of age, right? Even with fake money. Yes, with fake money, like not even my own money. (laughs) You have this fake energetic money and you can do whatever you want with it. And you immediately go to the leftover pile and the sale rack. I'm so glad you shared that. Thank you for sharing that. That I was going to ask you for an example. Okay, so let's now explain. So then how is that connected to the nervous system. So why is that the default, do you think, for you? Oh, I mean, I think the default is because, you know, as I mentioned, I grew up with a single mom, like we didn't have a ton of extra resources. I obviously had clothes. But in our house, clothes shopping was like once a year, it was like the back to school thing, we're going to the kind of discount stores and getting whatever we want. And so I remember in sixth, in sixth grade or whatever, being like, I really want this shirt from Limited 2. I really want these bell bottoms. There was like a real 70s moment happening when I was in sixth grade. But there was no way that I could have that thing. So, you know, to like protect myself from the perceived danger of getting rejected by my mom not allowing me to have this thing, I just was like, oh, well, if we don't actually ever ask for the thing that we really want and we just settle for this, then there's no disappointment. There's no hurt feelings. There's nothing. So, like, there is like a feeling of discomfort actually 
in my body that comes up when I think about spending above a certain amount on clothes. And it's not to say that I've never done it. Like I do. I mean, I, I love beautiful objects. I do have kind of expensive taste, but I've noticed after I reflected on this instance with the imaginary money, I was like, Oh, even things that I really desired that I bought that I felt like I had earned the money for from like designers that I really liked. I found myself just going through mental hoops of justifying Mm -hmm. to other people, like why it was okay for me to have it. And it would be like, Oh, because I did this extra gig. So I have this money or like, I wear them all the time or whatever. And no, nobody cares, right? Like nobody cares except for me. But there's still this proving this like unworthiness, all of these feelings that manifest as discomfort in my body and come out in these in these visible ways. Okay, so what you're saying, I think, is that when you said your nervous system wants to keep you safe, safety for you was avoiding the pain of getting disappointed and being told, no, honey, we can't have that. So your nervous system is like, that's what feels safe. So then you who now you're a grown woman and you have the money to do it and your nervous system still wants to keep you safe. So you'll take the leftovers or not even ask for it, et cetera. I'm so glad we're talking about that because you, I mean, you listen to our show, but that's what I'm really trying to put out, not trying, I'm putting out in the world, this information from coaches like you so that my girlfriends, anyone, anyone in the world can hear that and go, oh, wait a minute, the way I'm showing up isn't wrong. It makes sense if you think about it from that perspective. Of course, it's just my nervous system trying to keep me safe. I think it's it's just very freeing rather than a different story, which is not just I recognize I have this pattern of doing leftovers and sale stuff, but I wish I weren't like that and I shouldn't be like that. And I'm just like that. Yeah, that's the thing that that comes up so much and is what I'm infusing, you know, in my present experience of doing the work is that there are so many people who just can sense, right, that something's off with their money that like, maybe they have shame, or maybe they're feeling financially stretched, and they don't know why. But then they get frustrated with themselves when they try the things, and then the things don't work for them. But their blueprint, their nervous system, their mental programming was never set up for that to work. And Mm. so it's like, you can't just paste a budget on top of scarcity and then expect someone <laughs> to suddenly like show up completely differently than they have been their entire life. But, you know, like I said, this stuff is so sneaky because it just is the default. You have just like made it your reality. That's the lens with which you see the world. So it's not until you start to do this work that not only can you understand some of your behaviors, but you also get to understand why you might not be at the level that you wanted because on some level, it doesn't actually feel safe to want it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that was me constantly justifying. I actually can remember. I have a memory that just came up that I haven't thought about, oh gosh, probably my whole life. And my mom took me to get school clothes and we, we usually couldn't afford much at all. And I remember laying all the clothes out on my parents' bed and not just saying, dad, dad, look, this is so great. I'm excited. Here's what I would say. I can see myself right now doing it. I'd say things like, okay, but here's the thing. I know it looks like a lot, but look, this can't just be worn with this. I can wear it with this, this. I could have 10 outfits out of that. And that, and I was explaining and justifying. And he goes, it's okay. It's it's fine, Jill. It's okay that you got that. And then I went into a phase of anytime I got money, Salome, I felt like I had to give it away. And I masked that behind, I'm just a really giving, generous person. Because I am. I really am a giving, generous person. But I realized that's not what it was. It's what you're talking about. At my core, my nervous system did not feel safe with money. And someone might hear that and go, I don't understand. If your parents were screaming constantly about money, you would think you wouldn't feel safe in the scarcity. But that's all I knew. And so I would get, like, I'll give you a quick example. Okay, so back in my network marketing days, I won some big contest. And the, I was handed $5,000 cash, okay? Meanwhile, my partner at the time and children, we were, you know, drowning in debt. He was unemployed. We had, like, hardly any money coming in. And I had a ton of bills. And a man who made a lot of money in network marketing came up to me and he said, listen, I was brand new in the business. And he's like, I'm going to ask you to do something. It's probably going to make you uncomfortable. I would like you to take 
First of all, $1,000 of that 5,000 is spending on yourself. And I don't want you to putting, spending it on bills. I want you to spend it on yourself. The second thing I want you to do is put a $100 bill, a crisp $100 bill from there in your wallet and keep it in there all the time. You never spend it. But it's just to remind you of what you deserve and what you have and what you are, et cetera. So because of my nervous system, <laughs> because of my, my blueprint, as you said, I remember we got out of that and I spent probably at least a thousand on it on my team, buying them drinks, buying them because I felt guilty for having it. I felt like I owed them and I also felt like I didn't deserve it. So I blew a bunch of money there, bought everybody lunch in, I think, the airport the next day. But in the airport coming home, there was a woman who was working in one of the drugstores, you know, in the airport. And I was like super, super sick from the airplane. And she was so kind to me. And she got me some Dramamine and she stood next to me. And now the truth is, I do feel like God, higher power, whatever word people want to use, I do feel like God was saying to me that it, it would just make her her year if you surprised her and gave her a little, like a tip, right? What did I do? $500, $500 cash. Now you might go, that was so nice of you. Well, it is really nice unless it's coming from your own shit. I felt guilty for having that. It was like burning a hole in my wallet. I couldn't take it anymore. And she was older. She was overweight. She was in a marginalized group of people that I, I just had this assumption she had a hard life. She was working in an airport. And I'm like, I'm just going to give her this. And I gave it to her. And her response wasn't what I thought it should be. I wanted her to be like, oh my gosh, thank you so much. She was like, oh, okay then, thanks. Put it in her pocket and walked away. And that's when I realized I gave it from the wrong place. But anyway, I'm, I'm, I'm digressing and digressing and taking bunny trails, but it's because I didn't think I deserved it at the end of the day. I gave, that money was gone. I never spent a dime on myself. When I got home, the whatever was left, three grand or whatever was left, I handed it over to my spouse at the time and said, hey, put this on, on our debt. And someone might say that was smart, but I didn't even keep $10 for myself. I did nothing for myself. I was a total martyr about it. So again, I guess, yeah, yeah that's, that's an example of the whole blueprint driving the bus. Yeah. And I think that's not really uncommon. And thank you for sharing that because yeah, I think there can also be this like really shaming narrative <laughs> that, that I also used to, to fall into as a person with debt where I was like, Oh, well, all of my extra money should be going to debt. And so, and I, I don't deserve anything because I, I'm such a sinner or like whatever thoughts that I subconsciously had. But then it's like you create this cycle of just such deprivation and scarcity that it's actually just really horrible. And, you know, in my case, then led to me impulsively overspending on things because I felt so deprived in this one area. But then in the, directly related to the example you're sharing, like that comes up for so many people and and came up for me because I think so many people think like, if I just get X amount of money, like that will solve the problem and there will be no more issues. But like when you're not actually wired to hold on to it, you just find ways to get rid of it because you feel uncomfortable. And that's what I did. I finally found myself having a salary job at the level that I had always dreamed of desiring. And one would think that I would then come out with like so much savings and all of this stuff. I did save some money, but I just found new ways to spend it because my body was not actually comfortable with having that level of abundance. Mm -hmm. And what about the story you said a lot of your clients have? I'm just not good with money. Mm, yeah, I think this is like a real... I mean, I work with a lot of women, as I mentioned, I think it's a very common narrative that women feel that money is like this numbers, like masculine thing, you know, that's a dynamic we see in so many partnerships where it's the man handles the money and the woman just doesn't ask any questions about it because he knows something different that I don't know about it. And I think it's really just an identity question. I think so often our identities get so pounded into us. And so we find it so hard to see outside of what we perceive are our limitations. And I think especially with a marginalized group such as women, I think that can happen 
so often, whether it's about your body or your ability to work at the sea level or whatever, because I think it, it feels so fundamental to who we are that it seems impossible that it could ever change, which is ultimately not true. But the change is really hard. As with any of the stuff we're talking about in the personal development world, it's not like you just decide to wake up and love yourself or feel great about your body or have a different relationship with money. And it's easy. You have to like face off with all of this uncomfortable stuff. So not to mention, not only is it a quality that I think too many of us can falsely assume is fixed, but to shift it is actually really hard work and really uncomfortable. And a lot of people avoid that. Oh, yeah, it is. All of this work is hard. It's so much easier to numb, avoid, and just stay in our patterns. It's even though it causes problems, <laughs> it is easier. It's easier. So when we were talking about the story of I'm not good with money, could it also be because I'm thinking of a couple of my kids, one in particular, well, actually two in particular, who say that it's like it becomes their story. And then so then they start acting that way more. And it, it can also be an excuse, I think. Maybe it's if it's not conscious, but it's like, if I just keep saying I'm bad with money, it's like a handicap. I can't help it, right? I can't help that I have no money, mom. I can't help that I'm overspending. I can't help that I'm not saving. And it, it, to me, it comes from like this victim energy rather than I don't like working with money. It intimidates me and freaks me out. And I, before I know it, it's gone. But I'm not going to say that it's because I'm, I just am somehow bad with money. Like, what could you say about that? Yeah, I agree so much that it's a way to outsource power to something else, which is the fundamental basis of a victim mentality. Because if you're the one responsible, then you have to do something. And as we talked about, like confronting that can just be so hard. And I think that, yeah, that's such a common thing that people do where either they'll DFI money and money will be the solution to all their problems, or it's just like, I'm fundamentally doomed and money is evil. So why would I even want that? I think that, yeah, I think personal responsibility is uncomfortable and is not really the way that our culture is super set up, right? Like, I think even when we talk about personal relationships, whether it's a breakup or parenting or whatever, we always are talking about fault, like whose fault mm. is it? And I, I just think that's fundamentally not how it works. And I think, you know, as we talk about the money stuff, it can be so easy to blame your parents or your status in society or anything. But that's not really it because ultimately it, it always comes down to us. And I think that's the, I think that's one of the biggest hurdles to get over in terms of any personal development work, but especially money is to recognize like the central role that we play in all of our problems. Yeah, I was just thinking as you were talking, that you're right, if it comes down to us, I thought to myself, if that person is the only one who can fix it, because they are, all the things that they're blaming, my childhood, this, that's, you change all of that and it's still not going to affect it. You have to do the work yourself. So clearly it, it, it's not just on you to change it. It clearly is in you. The issue with money is in you. Whatever the circumstances are, at the end of the day, you're the only one who can change that. And I had to do so much work. I had such, as I said, an unhealthy relationship with money, mindset around money. I had anxiety around money. Um, I never felt like I had enough. I never felt like I would ever have enough. I would work myself to death and I would go through periods of just like not spending anything. What about that? Why do people do that? I would spend nothing. I would hold on to it so tightly because I had this fear that it was going to go away, which is no way to live at all. There was no flow at all. It was just like this tight fist. I didn't have a lot, but I had enough where I could have enjoyed it a little bit. And then I would also find myself resenting anyone who had money freedom, completely resenting them. Actually, let's go there because when I was in network marketing, you know, you have a team of people. I don't know if you know how it works, but you could either have five people on your team or 5,000. And I realized as I look back now, it's hilarious because every person I attracted into that business, even if it was through your friends, 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 they still were somehow connected to me. I had to look and there was a clear pattern and there were a few stories, which all come from me. And one of them was about money. 
And I had a lot of what we'd call wounded healers. I had the massage therapists. I had the energetic healers, the nutritionists, the whatever good, kind people who really wanted to make a difference in the world. They loved people and they truly wanted to make a difference and help people. And they were coming into my business because they believed in the product, which was a health and wellness product. So they wanted to help people. But then here's the big but. They needed more money. They were mostly broke, but they were uncomfortable doing what I was asking them to do so that they could sell the product that they said they wanted to help people with so they could help them and make more money. They always fell flat. They never did anything. And then they ended up blaming the business on it. But but the, let's talk about the wounded healers. And if someone's listening, they're like, I'm not a healer. The wounded mindset of, I have to just give and save the world and help everybody else. And I don't deserve any money and money's bad. Yeah, I think it's, I think it's related to the same notes of, of deprivation and stuff that you were talking about from the earlier story is that ultimately, I think it all comes down to shame and unworthiness, which, you know, shame is not like the sexiest topic to talk about. But I think it's the thing that is at the root of all of the problems that we're discussing, right? Because there's on some level that they, they don't believe that they're worthy of having the stuff, whether it's abundance and etc. So for as much as they want to help the people, this way that they view themselves is just blocking them. And then to go back to the deprivation, because I felt that so deeply when I was first facing off of my debt, you know, I think I was in this space where I believed that because I had the debt or because I didn't make enough money or whatever that I had gotten myself into this situation. And so I deserved to be punished. And so the way that I would punish myself was to not allow myself to do the things. And, you know, it sounds like so straightforward when you say it like that, but so much of this stuff is so subconscious that people can't even understand why they're making the decisions because even if we zoom out from the wounded healers and we're talking about everybody, like everybody has wounding. And most of us are making decisions from that wounding, whether we're conscious of it or not. And the work of healing is to just become a little bit more conscious and then to decide if you want to make the same decision, right? Like, it's not like there's some perfect place where you get to and you've erased all of your past and you never get triggered and like nothing ever bothers you again. You just see it a little bit more clearly than you did before. Mm -hmm. And for me, I don't know if you agree with this or not. When I look at wounded healers, again, no judgment at all, just, uh, just observing what I saw. Cause when you have a sample size of thousands of people and you interact with them, you, it's like the same story over and over. You probably see this with your coaching clients. I also see it with like, I might go for some sort of experience, let's just say, because I don't want to be specific, with someone who offers me a service that would be helpful to, to my body in some way, okay? Because I do a lot of that stuff. I see a running theme with those people. It's a running theme of broke, but yet they're talented. They're, they've worked hard. They have certifications. They're gifted. So there's also the storyline that if I'm a healer, or if I'm someone who's here to make a difference, that's incongruent with people who have money or like money or want money. It's like this good, bad thing. But yet they're stuck in this, my theory is, they're stuck in this low vibration while they're trying to say there's this healer who wants to change the world. Like, how can you be healing people and putting positive energy into people and doing all this when you're in this broke, stuck, low vibe mindset about money and what you deserve and what money means? It, to me, it's just, I see it, but they don't see it. And I used to try to drag people out of that. And, and I remember I wasn't a coach or anything. I was just, I was in that business I was in and I would try and I'm like, dude, I'm drowning with you. Like, I can't do it. And they would make me wrong for wanting to make more money and wanting to excel, even though we were selling a product that actually really did make a difference. That's the crazy fucked up part of it. So, I mean, we could talk for five hours about that, but what would you say about that whole mindset that they have? Yeah, I think it really goes to the story of money is evil and people who have money are evil. And so I can't want money because then 
I have to be evil. So there, then it becomes the reverse where it's like, it's noble to be poor. And so in order to be like pure or spiritual, like I like money and spirituality, I feel like this is shifting now, but I think there's a common narrative that those two things are fundamentally opposed. And so, so then it just creates this sort of self-perpetuating cycle that people can't get out of. And I think it's also a uncom- un- unfortunately very common narrative that the person who comes in and tries to point out the paradigm or point out the falsehood or hypocrisy in the way that they're living, like someone needs to be to blame. So, so you become the one to blame mm-hmm. because it, it messes with their worldview. And so for them to shift it, so many other things would have to shift to really step into receiving that money for their gifts. And that is just a really hard transition for people to make. It really is. It really is. And some of these people, like I went for a massage with someone and she was sharing, I love marketing, I think with a marketing brain. And I was like thinking of 10 ways I could help blow up her business. And I realized I'm not even going to tell her because she's in a place where she cannot hold that. She cannot receive that. It's hard for her to even accept my $20 tip. And, and if I look at her as a victim and try to save her, I'm doing her no good anyway, which is what I used to do. And so let's wrap up with the opposite mindset of the people who are obsessed with money and they think money is going to change everything and that money is what makes them what they are. So I have an interesting story of what I told you I grew up with. Then I worked my ass off in network marketing and I was a, a nurse at the same time, built a very large business with that, made a lot of money. Then I married someone, second marriage, who was successful on paper, but put all of his income into his company, which was smart, right? So he didn't have a lot of money that came in, but he could one day be worth a lot, right? He had this business he was building. Ended up selling the company a few years ago for a lot of money. All of a sudden, we have all this money, okay? It's definitely a head game. So I realized after he sold the company, all of a sudden I could afford all these things. Talk about doing inner work. Like my husband surprised me with a very, very expensive pair of sunglasses. And my friend said to me, girl, uh, where's the bag? Like, like it was Chanel sunglasses joking because it's like she, she knew that he sold this company. Like I could have bought a hundred bags. I didn't feel like I could have that bag. It was too much for me. It would make actually make me feel like my chest would close. I couldn't breathe. Also ask me how many times I've used, I do have the bag now. Ask me how many times I've used it. How many times have you used it? Zero. One. In Vegas with all of our kids, my kids wanted me to use it. I'm still growing into it. I feel uncomfortable. I feel like I need to apologize for it. If I were around someone who didn't have a lot of money or it seemed like they didn't, oh God, I would hide it or turn it the other way. Or I'm telling you, getting ready today for my doctor appointment that I'm going to after I I talk to you. I have a really, really nice watch. It's very expensive, but it's like my dream watch and I love it so much. It took probably two weeks for me to even put it on my wrist. Then it took another couple of weeks for me to wear it out anywhere. Then it took a couple more weeks for me to be able to wear it two days in a row. I was getting ready for the doctor's appointment today and I swear to you, I, this is, I'm not proud of this. Like I'm not trying to be noble here and, and this is like effed up. You know what I thought to myself? you know what? I'm going to the doctor's office closer to downtown. I'm not going to the one out north. I would just feel so ridiculous. Look, I'm not walking in in a ball gown. I have jeans and a shirt on, but I'm telling you, this is my issue. What if there's some mom there who's pregnant and she's barely even paying her bills and then I waltz in there and I sit next to her with this watch? It's ridiculous. But that is the conversation I had in my head. But you know what I did? I forced myself to put it on anyway. And I forced myself to do, because I've been doing the work, right? Um, to say, A, I'm not responsible for how she receives me. B, I'm a good person. This watch doesn't define me. I like it and I need to get over it. But anyway, I know I just talked a lot, but let's just flip it before we close on the people who are obsessed with money. They're not afraid to have it. To me, it's the other side of the same coin. It is the other side of the same coin because it's really just the shame and unworthiness just masked with the money. You know, I think that that's how we can end up in these scenarios where 
people are super, super rich. And I'm not saying this is every rich person, right? But like people can be super, super rich, but the way that they get their worth and their validation is just by more and more and more. So they have to build the other company. They have to sell the company. They need people to see them as worthy. And that's why they they collect all the things. They have the fancy bags, which is like not to say that fancy bags are inherently wrong, right? It's just the come from of how you use it. And even myself as a person who didn't think that I identified that way, I still would find myself in situations where I felt out of place financially. And so I'd be like, well, I have to dress a certain way in order to be accepted. And so I have to carry this kind of bag or have these workout leggings or like whatever story that we want to tell ourselves. So you know, it is really just the other side of the shame and unworthiness, believing that like, inherently who you are is not enough without all of these accoutrements and the money. It's the same as people keeping themselves poor and depriving themselves because it fears, feels more noble. So like, this is a thing I was talking about on Instagram where I was like, money is just neutral. Like money is not actually good or bad. The designer bag is not actually good or bad. The fancy apartment or car or whatever is not actually good or bad. It's just, why do you want that thing? If it's because you really love the stitching and it just makes you feel so confident and sexy whenever you put on your Chanel bag, then like, and you can afford it, whatever that means. That's like kind of a controversial phase. But I guess instead of affording, I'd like to say like you're prioritizing that versus something else. You're choosing to prioritize that over something else. Then I think that's all good. And, you know, I think that I, another one of my revelations recently or things that I'm willing to admit more publicly is that I used to judge those things and like vilify those things in other people. Cause I'd be like, Oh my God, that's so silly. Who would spend that much money on a bag or like who would spend that much money on an apartment? And then. It's not, it's not until recently after like doing all the work, right? That I had to sit down and be like, oh, it's because on some level, I don't believe that I deserve that. And I don't believe that I can have that. So it's just like the stuff with my mom and the clothes where it's like, I have to make it so out of reach. It's like, that's for those people who are so silly and vain and superficial and not for me. So it's like the point of this all is that it's all neutral. Everything is just the stories that we're telling ourselves about this. And it really comes down to how we feel about ourselves and our self-worth that is important. But, you know, these are things that I still struggle with. And, you know, I'm, I'm grateful that I have more awareness, but sometimes it'll be like, it took me, okay, a story, quick story is that I live in a really small apartment. It's, it's dusty. It's old. It's like New York city. And so, I was like, well, now that I'm here, I wanted to get a vacuum, like a fancy vacuum for myself. And I was like, I'm going to get a Dyson. But I was in a space where I was like, there's no way that I could spend $400 on a vacuum. Like, that is crazy. So I went this super circuitous route, bought this used one that like didn't work that well, was kind of funky, actually made it... It was like a negative experience using it. But it took me like two years of holding on to that to finally be like, what am I doing? Like, (laughs) I just have to buy the actual thing that I want. So this is my baggage is that I'll buy like the budget version. (laughs) And it's the same with the clothes, I guess, now that I'm talking about it. I'll buy the budget version. And then eventually I'll get sick of it. And then I'll be like, okay, we actually just have to buy the thing that we actually wanted. But then once I bought it, I was like, well, sure, there's, there's a way in which like, buying the fancy vacuum could be a status symbol. It's like in the background of my coaching calls, it could like show up in an Instagram post. But the reality is that like, I just really like my apartment feeling clean. It like soothes my nervous system. It's really pleasurable to use. It also is like purple and red. I'm looking at it right now. (laughs) And it's just so it makes such a small part of my life actually enjoyable and better. So to me, it's like that come from is totally different than some of the things I had been doing before, whether it was like buying the leggings or the clothes or the shoes, etc. So all of this is to say this stuff is so sneaky. It's so deep. But we get to just peel back layer by layer. Nothing is inherently bad or wrong. I'm not bad for like putting myself through that three year vacuum cycle. Like, do I hope that it can shift in the future? Yes. (laughs) But I also get to recognize that I'm a human. And this is just the baggage that I was programmed with. And 
I can shift my relationship with money, even though that's not a thing that I believed in the past. Mm-hmm. I hope our listeners hearing this whole conversation, I'm so glad. Thank you for not making this just a big teaching episode because you have so much knowledge. You could just teach, 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 teach. I'm glad you were willing to have just a conversation. It was like two friends chatting about money. One of them happens to be pretty knowledgeable about it. But I really loved this, that you gave us some of your stories. You let me tell some of my stories. I think it's really nice for people to listen and learn that way rather than just be taught and talked at. So thank you for that. Let's kind of wrap with, I'm going to share what I hope they get out of this. And maybe you could share too. I hope from what I've heard from you that our listeners got an understanding that that the way they treat money, interact with money, et cetera, is not bad or wrong no matter what. And there's a lot underneath that, that if they just are willing to peel back those layers, like you said, with a coach, with someone who can help them, they're going to find a direct correlation between however they interact with money and how they feel deeply at their core and this the state of their nervous system. And I also hope they realize that I think you sharing some of the common patterns they realize that they're not alone. It's not just them. No matter how much money they have, it's okay to say, oh, you know what? I may have money, but I totally have shit with money. Or they might hear this and have not much money and say, you know what? I actually have a healthier mindset about money than I realize." So what do you hope that they got out of this? Yeah. Thank you for all of that. I think what I hope that people realize is that it's not just about the learning. It's not just about the facts. It's about how it relates to your lived experience. And this is why people can end up in so many situations where they took the investing course, they took the budgeting course, they've done the things, the podcasts, the books, etc. But things haven't actually shifted because they don't understand how this relates to their own personal lived experience. So I hope that people can realize that it like the deep work is almost necessary to shift this stuff as challenging as it can be. But that everyone also struggles with this stuff. It's so universal. And I think I think that the more that we can reduce the shame and the stigma around this, you know, like even me as a money coach talking about like my fucked up beliefs that I still have to work through can show people that it's okay to not be perfect about these things. And it doesn't have to be it's not going to be easy, but it's definitely possible. So I also want people to see how, you know, we're talking about money in this conversation, but we could expand to almost anything else in your life. And I think that once you start to do this deep work with money, you start to realize how these same patterns are showing up, like with your kids, in your relationship, at your job, in your family. And the more that we can like start to unravel these threads, the richer, <laughs> pun intended, life that we can actually start to have because then we're coming from a space of abundance and freedom instead of just going down the same path we've been going down our mm, whole life. That's so brilliantly said. And the thing that just came to me as you were talking as well is that, you know, we have a lot of people who listen who are looking for coaches and I don't, don't have anyone on here I don't recommend and I recommend you highly. But I was just thinking, and one advantage of working with you is that someone might not be ready to dig into all the deep stuff they can just start with conversations about money because you know it's all connected anyway. And then the benefit of getting help with the relationship with money is that, as you said, it's going to it's going to improve every other aspect of their life without even realizing it because it's just this is just such a reflection of other stuff. So if they do want to learn more about you, is I'm assuming Instagram is your favorite place. I know you also have a website. Yeah, Instagram is the easiest way. It's not positive money. But you can also find out more details about me on my website, which is snappositivecoaching.co. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for this. Thank you so much for having me. I think I think it's really refreshing to just have an honest talk about money. And I think it can show people how approachable this work can be. Mm-hmm. And I said I was finished. But the last thing I want to say is, you know, someone is a good coach when they don't try to act like they've got it all figured out. Because sometimes we want coaches to have it all figured out. It makes us feel more comfortable. And someone might hear that and go, well, I don't want to pay her to coach me because she should have it all figured out. No, you want the coach who's willing to say, look, I'm ahead of you. Trust me, I can help you. But I'm not perfect and you're never going to be perfect. And I, I thank you for saying those things. It's very refreshing. Thank you. It was an evolution in my own journey because I think there was a moment 
in the past when I had been maybe a few years into doing this work where I might have thought that I had it all figured out and that I finally had arrived and that I was good at money. But then through deeper work, some of it through my deeper coaching training, I realized that you know that was all still just a coping mechanism of control and perfectionism and all of the same shit. I had just like dressed it up in a different way that was more acceptable. And and yeah, I think that because there's so much shame in money, like it doesn't feel awesome to admit like mistakes or challenges that you're having to someone who seems perfect. And so if you're not going to willing be willing to be open and go all the way there with me, like we're not going to be able to get anything done and nothing's going to shift in your life. So it just doesn't really serve anybody. Mm. But it was a journey to get here. I will say that. <laughs> I'm sure it was. Okay. Thank you so much. And please, everyone, share this with your friends. Text it out to people. Tag Salome on Instagram so she knows that you heard the the episode. And if you haven't given us a rating or a review, especially if you're a first-time listener, we would appreciate that so much. And we'll see you next week. Don't forget to breathe, love yourself, and surrender. Surrender.